Thank you, Kelsey. How's everybody doing? <laughs> hey, yo, las niñas in the front here, bro. They're helping me out big time. I appreciate y'all. All right. Uh, hey, if you don't know me, my name is Josh. Everybody here, I'm pretty sure, knows me. If you're watching online later and you don't know me, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here uh, at Refuge. <laughs> um, hey, uh, I'm excited about today, and I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is, is you know, uh, was able to connect with God and, and really able to, to invest, right, to kind of engage over the last uh, 30 or 40 minutes here. We don't want you to stop engaging now. What we're going to do at the minute is we're fixing to continue our time in worship by going into the scriptures. And we do believe this is a time of worship. What do I mean? Uh, I mean that as we open this book, this book is called the what? Oh, man, this is, this is, I'm not, see, there we go. Even the back one was like, well, how did we miss that one, right? Like, all right, so we're going to do it again, right? We're going to replay the situation. We're going to mulligan it, right? I'm going in reverse, and I'm like, okay, yeah, as, as we approach this book, and this book is called The What? All right. Oh, that's good. That's good right there. Yeah, there we go. All right. I appreciate her again. Uh, we believe that this book, right, when we approach this book in, in conjunction with the work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives, and we believe God is here and present here right now, as we approach these words, we believe that God engages with us, right, through the spirit at work in our hearts, that God engages with us, that he connects with us. And so as we read these words that we're reading, as we work through the ideas that this book is offering us, we don't believe this is a time where we, like, go to our mind and we think about words and we think about a text, but we leave the idea of worshiping God behind. No, we're called to love our God with all of our heart all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And, and the mind is a way we're going to worship him right now by going to the word and saying, God, meet me here. Right? Show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me in a way that doesn't just make me think, oh, that was cool, but in a way that actually makes me, like that shapes me in a way, that shapes my heart, that shapes my mind, that shapes my life, that shapes my relationships, that shapes how I'm approaching you, that shapes how I'm approaching others. And so all of a sudden, this is really, really powerful this moment. And so I say that to say, don't lean back now and be like, okay, I'm going to sit here and talk to this. I mean, you're not going to talk to me. You might talk to me. I'll be asking questions. But yeah, I'm going to listen to this dude talk to me for a few minutes and, and, and kind of like check out. No, no, no. This is a time where honestly, we're all going to God together through the scriptures. And so we want to invite you to invest in this time, not back out. And how we're going to do that today is we're going to continue our sermon series in the book of what? Okay, oh, we're on the money now. I just took a little prodding, and now all of a sudden we're out here. Okay, so we're going to continue on to the book of Ezra. Last week we got started in the book of Ezra by really just reviewing chapter 1. And in chapter 1, what we saw was that Ezra is going to be a story of an exiled people who were given a renewed purpose, right, by a redeeming and rescuing God. An exiled people, people that are in this state of being away from their home, away from everything that they know, that have kind of been disciplined and chastised, and they're hurting, and they feel probably like they're in a little bit of darkness at the moment. That people is going to receive a restored and renewed purpose, right? That restored and renewed purpose that we found out last week uh, is, is a call to worship God, right? A call to worship God. They're going to receive this restored purpose, a call to worship God, and, and they receive that not through just by coming to a realization in their minds, but, but rather by actually experiencing and engaging with the redeeming and rescuing God that is their God. That's going to be what the story of Ezra builds out. And so that, that's kind of what we're on our path to explore over the next several weeks. We'll be in Ezra for six weeks, so we have five more weeks counting today. Um, 
And today we're going into one of those super weird parts of the Bible that everyone loves so much. We're going into a giant list of things. <laughs> you know, like, you know when you get to Leviticus and you start listing stuff off and then your, your Bible reading plan goes awry right then and there? Yeah, all right, everybody in here be plowing through Leviticus like nobody's business, I know. All right, and then you go through Numbers and then Deuteronomy. Y'all all tackle that fine, right? Y'all good with that? Y'all just been plowing through that bad boy year after year. You're just like, man, bro, I, can, I could tell you Leviticus like the back of my hand. No, you cannot. You know why? Because you got to them lists and you were like, I'm struggling today. And then the next day you woke up, your alarm went off, and you were like, I'm finna get in my quiet time. And you thought, it's another day of lists, and you skipped that day. That's what you did. You know why I know? Because that's what I did. All right, so <laughs> it's a tough day. It's tough. Oftentimes they're tricky to engage with them lists because they feel like they're not applicable. Right, and, and I think uh, we're going to take a little bit of a, not a pause here, but I'm going to make a little bit of like a side note in terms of just like loving you in a way that try to instructs you and in how to maybe read the Bible, this book that we talk about, we connect with God through, and it's important. Uh, sometimes what happens is that we take this book, the Bible, I'm going to ask you to do that, um, th this, this Bible, and we read it in a way that says, God, just show me something that you want for me. Right, we, we treat it as basically like a... Um, a devotional, you've heard people say the Bible is, what is the, the acronym for Bible that you've heard so often, is the basic instructions before leaving earth. That's very wrong. It's just like, you know, lovingly, that's very not right. Um, and so, but that's how we can treat the Bible, right? We approach and go, well, God, show, like, show me something. Like, teach me something. Let this be like a good devotional time. Let me receive a word during this time. And to be honest, that's not what's happening here. Uh, God does do that. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. But that's not what the Bible's about. The Bible, actually, the story of the Bible is really similar to the story of Ezra, to be honest. That's why it's incredible. That's why Ezra is such a powerful book. Because if Ezra is a story of an exiled people in darkness receiving a restored purpose in worshiping him and in being connected to him, and they receive that by being, being saved and rescued by their redeeming and loving God, Right, that's the story of Ezra, and to be honest, that's the story of the Bible. Not because Ezra is the only book in the Bible, because, because this is a story of how God reveals what he's done in the world, reveals who he is, what, what has happened, what he's going to do. Right? Like, like it, it is the revelation of God, that's what theology nerds call it. Right? Where we get to see God himself say, hey, here's who I am. Right? I, I redeem and I rescue the people that are in exile, that are in exile because they disobeyed me. And because they consistently looked at me and said, I don't want you, I want other things, I want other ways, I want other paths, I want maybe even other gods. And he has to lovingly rebuke and, and, and um, what's it called, discipline them and send them into exile. And then he comes back and he says, but I'm never going to forget you because I love you. That's who I am. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give back your purpose because you can never not be mine and I can never not be yours. And that's a small example of what the whole story is, a creation that, that God loves called humanity, that, that he, he gives the, the prized role of being made in his image to oversee the creation. And, and we lose that, that, that connection with him. This is the very beginning of the book, right? And then all of a sudden, the rest of the book is just this story of how God is working to redeem and restore that purpose. And, and the end of the book is really showing how, yes, I'm going to do that forever, fully and eternally. And at the middle is the crux of it all. And it's I'm going to do it through this person of Jesus. I'm going to send him into the story. 
And, and where you have had a lack of hope before, through him you will have hope. And where you didn't have strength before, in him you will have strength. And where you didn't have joy before, in him you will have joy. And, and, and this, is, this is the person now that through which we're going to be connected to God. And that's what's actually happening in this book. That's what's actually happening. And I think that, that means a couple of things. It's important because what that means is that the people that are receiving the words of these, this book, every chapter of it, every book of it, are receiving it for a specific reason. And if we can begin to understand that reason, we can begin to understand what God is showing about himself in that particular moment with that particular people in that particular time. And that particular thing about that particular God, that may have a particular application to you, where you are. Because who he is doesn't change, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when we approach it going, man, these lists don't have nothing to do with me, what we don't understand is, yeah, but they had everything to do with with the God and the people of that moment. And the God and the people of that moment, right, is the same God that's with us. And what that God is doing in that moment may be something that we desperately need to know. But if we sit there and go, man, the list ain't got nothing for me, all of a sudden we may lose out on a beautiful moment where God is showing us something about who he is and what he does that we desperately need. But we thought, man, you know what? That list ain't got nothing for me. The list got something for you. The list has something for you. Why? Because God has something for you. Because God is working through the person of Jesus, and all of this is building into that moment. And so uh, we're working through that list today. Don't worry. We're not going to work through the list verse by verse or anything. I'm not going to go crazy. Uh, but I will say that that list, that the whole chapter was in our weekly email. And I know because Jenna literally texted me and was like, is there like a smaller chunk of this chapter that we can send out? Because I feel like it's kind of long and it's kind of listy. And, and I was like, no, send the whole list. Send the whole list out there. So if you looked at your weekly email and you went through the whole list and you were working at it, I want to tell you, well done. All right, I want to tell you, touche, well done, because today's going to be much easier for you. All right, however, uh, for those that haven't, we're going to still try and make it make sense and hopefully it's connected with you still. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of a shorter time today considering we have our, our membership class, so I do want to jump in. Um, and, and I'm excited to work through this. We're going to work through it in, in kind of two separate ways. What I want to do is I want to kind of look at the text today uh, and just kind of do an, an, an overview of it and kind of see what it's doing, what it's communicating. And then I want to look at the takeaways that we can take from that. And so it's, it's really just going to be two takeaways, though there could be much more. But we, we have a limited time today. But, but I want us to, to kind of take those takeaways, right, receive those takeaways. Once we've learned what's happening in this text, you finna annoy me because I like my screen, so I'm going to move you back. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to work through that first, thinking about the text. And so when we think about the text, Ezra 2, we're coming off the back of Ezra 1, obviously. And in Ezra 1, we saw uh, the, this moment, right, where Cyrus declares, man, uh, the Lord has stirred my heart. Well, he didn't say that. The, the scriptures tell us the Lord stirs uh, King Cyrus' heart, and he declares, and whoever is a part of the people of God, y'all can go back and build him a house. I think he's told me to build him a house. And, and this is what we're going to do. And so he starts sending all these people out. And as we get to chapter 2, the first verse that we get to is, these now are the people of the province who came from those captive exiles King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had deported to Babylon. Meaning, here's a big list of all the people that left Babylon to go back to Judah, specifically to go back to Jerusalem. Judah was like a, a region, like the southern part of a, of a of a split kingdom in Israel, and Jerusalem was like the capital of Judah. So they leave Babylon to go back to Judah, specifically to Jerusalem, to start rebuilding uh, this temple. And, and here's the thing. 
from here, we have just this deep dive into every single type of person that was coming. Every single type of person that was coming. And so if you're nerdy and you started, like, going in with a pen and, like, making little inventions of each, like, uh, of each thing you notice, of each little quirk in that list, you start to pick up that it's broken down into several groups here. And so when you get to verse 2, right after verse 1, where it's like, here are all these people, right away it starts with 12 individual names. And those 12 individual names are to be like the, the 12 leaders that are amongst the people. Those 12 leaders are the part of the, part of the group that really leads the charge and leads the way. And they, they set out, and really everyone else kind of starts to follow them. And so those 12 leaders in two are an important group. But after that, there's just the families of Israel. All these different families, all these different family names and these family groups. And that's 3 through 35. That's a big chunk of the text, more than half of it. Uh, actually, I'll get exactly half of it, 35. Uh, I'm so scared my math is wrong right now, but just, just keep moving with me. Um, and so, yeah, so you got the families. After that, you're going to move into 36 through 40, which you're going to start to tackle the priests and the Levites, right? The priests are obviously the ones that work in the temple, and there's also the Levites, the people from the tribe uh, that produces the priests. And so this is an important group because they're going to be obviously the people that, that are going to work inside of the temple that everyone's rebuilding. So this is in a really important group that needs to... That needs to come along. It'd be shame if you built all that temple and have no one to work in it, right? It'd be shame if you got to Walmart and, and there was nobody working. Coincidentally, that's most Walmarts now. But what I'm getting at, <laughs> uh, all right, ain't no, one else, ain't no one else upset that they got to self-checkout all week? Ain't no one else? All right, you godlier than me. But what I'm getting at is that the priests are the ones that are going into the temple. So that's the group that's listed off. And then here are like minor officials, the, the people who are going to do some of the side work uh, a little less important than the priests and Levites, but they're still working in the temple and, and in the religious orders and in the religious ways. And then from there, the last chunk of verses uh, through 63 is going to be those who are like missing heritage. What does that mean? It means that while all of these individuals can trace their, their heritage right through the little people that came from Jerusalem to Babylon the first time, there's this little section of people where it's like, we don't really know how they got here. And there's not really like a, a public like affirmation that, hey, this is exactly where they came from. For all we know, they could have been people that hopped on the train while in Babylon. They're like, man, you guys are cool, man. Like, oh, I think I'm Jewish now. Like, you know, so it could have been, there, there's several different theories about this group, but they were just a group that uh, they, they make up several different sections here, not this one, but uh, several of the prior three sections, but they just don't have um, like a bit, not a dispute, but. Uh, but, but they're invited into the community despite the fact that they're missing a little bit of that direct line that the other, the other groups have. And so that's all that's happening. That's all that's happening here. There's this big list of everyone who's coming, uh, everyone who's making their way through, everyone who, who now that Cyrus has said, I want to invite the people uh, of Israel to go back to Jerusalem and, and to start to rebuild God's house. Go ahead and go. Last week we saw how they're, they're, getting, they're getting equipped with like silver and gold and cattle and all kinds of stuff. And, and that's what's happening. That's all the people that, that came from it, right? An important list. And right now you may be thinking, okay, that was as boring as I thought it was going to be. Okay. But here are the takeaways, right? We got the text. That's what the text is doing. It's giving us a bunch of different sections here to look at, a bunch of different people here to look at, a bunch of different, different things to look at. And then in the text, there's a bunch of little, little notes that are going to be fun to, to tackle. We're going to do that in just a second. But, but, but that, that's the structure of it. All these groups left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding God's temple. What does that mean? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for them? First one is 
that we are invited into restoration, but we got to accept that invitation. We're invited into restoration, but we got to accept that invitation. I want you to real quick to take a look at chapter 1, verse 3. And chapter 1, verse 3 says this, any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Why is this important? Go back one, bro. Um, any of the people among you, any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord. Here's the thing. This language isn't really a command. Here's what wasn't happening. Cyrus was not deporting the Israelites out of Babylon the same way he kind of took them from Jerusalem and took them to Babylon. That's not what happened here. Cyrus decided, hey, anybody that wants to leave, you're invited to leave. Anybody that wants to head out of Jerusalem, head out of Babylon, I'm sorry, and go to Jerusalem, you're invited to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild God's house and to restore your way of life. You're invited to do so. But here's the thing. They didn't have to. In fact, this is really important because in, in Nehemiah 7, right, and, and you don't have to go there. We're not going to read from it. In Nehemiah 7, the same list that's in Ezra chapter 2 is present in Nehemiah 7, except there is a really important indicator in Nehemiah 7. It says that there's a first group, and then it says that there's a second group. What do we mean? There was a first group that came when Cyrus said, hey, whoever wants to go, you're welcome to go. And they all went, and they packed their bags, and they were like, man, we're going back home. And we're going to go build God's house. And, and, and we're going to, like, go and, man, this is God answering our, our prayers. And, and he hears our cries. And he's a God who keeps his promises. And then there's another group that, that Nehemiah describes as the second group to go. And that's a group that came, went about 10 to 11 years later when there was a bit of struggle. And all of a sudden they had to go back and say, hey, we need people. Can anyone come? And then another group got up and said, let's go. They need help. We're rebuilding home. Let's head out. And so this group isn't just one group that all just got up. In fact, it's a whole group of people that at different times had to make different choices about whether they were going to leave exile and go back home. Uh, God invites us into restoration, friends. The thing is, we have to accept it. We do. I don't know what kind of darkness you're walking through right now. I don't know what kind of struggles you're going through. Maybe you're wrestling with a deep-rooted sin issue. Maybe you're wrestling with a deep-rooted sin issue that has been pervasive in your life, that you carry with you. And even now, when I'm just talking about this stuff, you feel the burning sense that you wish you could hide from every person in here, despite the fact that no one in here probably knows what it is. God is inviting you into restoration, friend. You have to accept it. You probably need to go to one of your brothers, one of your sisters uh, in the faith. And you probably need to start by repenting, by turning from sin and turning to God, confessing that it's wrong, laying it down, and pursuing the restoration that God has for you. Maybe you're wrestling with a, a time of, like, serious, serious, like, like depression or struggling with, with something like that. With, you're in the dark night of the soul, right? Man, if you're in that, right, I, I don't know where the light at the end of that is for you. Man, but it, it might be deeply necessary for you to take the step of saying, maybe I should go to a counselor. Maybe I should seek help, right? Maybe you're in the, a dark season of, like, 
relational hostility. And, and the, the reality is you have someone that you deeply love, but, but y'all feel, feel acres, miles apart at this point. And, and you, you don't feel like there's a path forward. Maybe, maybe your first step in that is to, to humbly come before a person and, and to take responsibility for your part of that. I'm not saying every relationship is like that. You've heard us give asterisks toward the idea of, of abuse and, and how some of that, right, that ventures into a different world that we're not discussing right now. But, but maybe you just have a bit of a, a bit of a thing between you and somebody that you love, you and a, a friend, maybe you and who, someone you feel like is a past friend. Guess what? There's a restoration process that God wants to invite you into, but you may need to step to that person and be the first one that initiates it to take responsibility for your part. Friend, God is inviting us into restoration, but the thing is we have to accept that invitation, right? We have to accept that invitation to begin to walk out this space where we're saying, God, I want to walk in the purpose you have for me. I want to walk in the ways that you have for me, but the thing is you have to first accept what it's going to, what it's going to require. Like, it's going to require some effort. It, it's not going to be like all of a sudden you Every, like, every relationship is fine. If you decide you're going to follow Jesus, but you're like, but I'm still kind of miffed at that person and I don't want to talk to them. Guess what? You're going to follow Jesus and you're still not going to talk to that person. If you're like, yo, I want to follow Jesus, but I want to never struggle with sin. And I want to never repent. I, know, I never want to bring it to the light. I always want to walk with it kind of in this hidden place in my heart. And, and, but, I, you know, like, guess what? You're going to follow Jesus and you're probably going to wrestle with that sin issue. Because there's an invitation, but sometimes it requires packing your bags and moving. Sometimes it requires being a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it requires something of you that, that is going to be challenging, but, but the beauty of this is that, that there's an invitation to say, hey, but if you make that move, I promise I'll move too. This is why James has this beautiful invitation and it that says, hey, every step you take, I promise there's going to be, there's going to be a response from the Lord to move back toward you and to, to move in your life. There's, there's that invitation, yeah, there, there's an invitation restoration, but we have to take it. Uh, I got I to be very honest with y'all. Uh, the other thing that's made me think about, and this ain't going to be on no point on the screen, but, man, the people that actually came to start this church are absolute champions. Um, so, you know, 2019, right, we get sent out from the well, and we're sitting there uh, like, oh, man, things are going to go incredible. And we have all these plans. Daniel was there. Daniel was, like, one of the first people. In fact, oh, look. Uh, all the Daniels, both the Daniels. Okay, so the two Daniels over there uh, were the only two people here right now that were in that first, like, group of eight people that met at uh, Cafe Creme. And so those individuals, man, we had these, we had big dreams, y'all. We had all these plans. I had wrote out all these documents. I was like, fam, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, 2020 came along. We were like, oh, snap, new year, new church. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so <laughs> we were out there feeling it. And then all of a sudden, I remember being in a little, that little, uh, that little alley that's in between, um, what's, that, what's that place called, bro? The coffee, Saint El the coffee shop on St. Elmo? Spokesman. There we go. Uh, there's that little alley between Spokesman and the next place where they put all those chairs. That's like they're kind of like, like, you know, outdoor seating area. And I remember sitting there, and we were about to have uh, our first ever, like, uh, like, event that was supposed to communicate. We're here in the community. Uh, and then I called Sean, and I specifically remember it was March of 2020, and being like, you know, bro, I think this COVID thing's going to be kind of serious. Uh, and then, like, the next day, they were like, you can't leave your house. <laughs> it's like, all right, so all them plans definitely ain't going to happen, just so you know. That 30-page document... That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. Uh, but it was this sense of like, hey, I, we even kind of had a moment where it was like, do we want to like go back to 
uh, the well on East Side was another church that, that sent some folks. And, and like, there was this response of like, nah, let's truck forward. We're building God's house. We're building our, we're building our God's house in a place where it's desperately needed. This idea of like, man, counting the cost, it was going to be hard. Heck, it's been hard. I ain't going to act like it hasn't been. And yet the faithfulness of God to say, hey, I'll take you through the season where there's these awkward videos where you don't know what you're doing. And it's all really weird. And there's like half of them are like iPhone videos that, where the sound is horrible. <laughs> and take you to a place where you're able to stand up here and say, man, praise God. I love God. Let's invite people to love God. Right, man, God's faithful. He invites us into restoration. Restoration for us and restoration for others, friends. I, I, I'm not quite, I thought about this a lot and it's not up here. <laughs> I'm taking all my time. Um, but look at how many, how many people are, no, the, the, we're going to go back to the first one, bro. Um, so not that one. Thank you. Um, look at how many families are here. If you look at, I said that's a huge chunk of people, 3 to 35, so many families. I want you to know when we, this is a complete side note, but when we actually, when we actually decide, hey, I, I do want to pursue restoration. I, I, I do want to pursue what it means to know God, to be restored by God. And I want to take the steps of saying, hey, I want to I seek out forgiveness and, and, and restoration through repenting of my sin and turning to the Lord through going to, to counseling and, and getting help by, by uh, reconciling with others and, and, and restoring my relationships. It's not just for ourselves. It's for a whole people. It's for the people of God that you've been ingrained into. It's for the people that are yours in your own life. Because trust me, this, this walk, this step right here, this idea of restoring the people to their home, building the house of God, it didn't just impact the 12 leaders, the families, the priests, the minor officials, and the people who had disputed heritage. It didn't just impact them. It wasn't like this was the only, only people that were going to feel the results of people getting up and saying, let's go build God's house. Let's actually do the work of walking into what it means to be restored by God. This was going to be a step that these people took one at one time and one 10 years down the road. And this was going to be a movement that ended up setting the stage for the person of Jesus to enter into the scene there in his homeland. It was going to produce the fruit of salvation and grace for the whole world when this group said, let's do it. God's inviting us into restoration. We've been here for a long time. Uh, let's go ahead and accept that invitation. Friend, you're, you're accepting the invitation of restoration isn't just about what God's going to do in your life, friend. It's about what God is going to do in the people that come after you, the people you disciple, your spouse, your children, your coworkers. It's about all the spaces that God's divine and beautiful and powerful healing can begin to touch that begin to then, then like a ripple effect in a pond begin to spread out and go, invite that person into it. Maybe that person notices you. Maybe that person sees something. Maybe you share that with someone else, right? All of a sudden, it's so much more than just what happened to you. I swear we're going to repay, we're gonna have to repay them for this TV one day because we're always hitting it. It's not just about what happens to you. It's about what God is going to do through you as you accept that invitation. I spent way too long on this point, so we're going to have to close up. Um, right, so, so that first idea, God is inviting us into restoration. He's with us. His spirit dwells in us. He desires to work in us. We have to accept that invitation. We have to come to terms with our sin. We have to come to terms with, with our, our dark places. We have to come to terms uh, with our responsibilities. And when we bring those to him and we experience grace, he begins to say, okay, let's start this process. Let, let's go. Let's keep moving. Okay, so, so that's the first idea, the first takeaway. Oh, two takeaways from Ezra 2. That's what I should have put here. Never mind. Sorry. Okay. Um, the, second, the second takeaway is this, right? When making our way out of darkness, 
You got, sometimes you got to look back to move forward. By making our way out of darkness, when making way, sometimes you got to look back to move forward. Now, here's the thing. Uh, that may be like the opposite of what you've heard sometimes, right? Where it's like, don't look back. It's just, it's just your new future. It's just like, just move forward. Put everything behind you. In some ways, I agree with that. Like, I ain't telling you you should dwell on what you've done. I ain't telling you you should be the person that's sitting there and be like, man, but I've messed up so much. Nah, I don't do that. But what the Israelites did here was powerful. They traced out a lineage of every, every place that every person had come from. In fact, this is why 2-1 is so powerful, why we read verse 2, or why we read verse 1, and then we read verse 70. Because verse 1 uh, in chapter 2 says, these now were the people of the province who came from captive exiles, uh, from those captive exiles, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had deported to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. Each to his own town. Then in verse 70, way down at the bottom, it again says, the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants, and some of the people settled in, in where? Their towns. And the rest of Israel settled in where? Their towns. To us, that sounds like a simple idea of moving back home. They moved back home. They went back to the place that they were from. I remember uh, when me and my wife were trying to buy a house, we were like, let's stay with my dad for a while. It was challenging. <laughs> my dad ain't here, so love you, all right? But it was challenging. And it was like, and the words we use, the words I use, my wife didn't use them because she didn't grow up in the house. The words I use were what? Let's move back home. Let's move back to where we came from. Let's move back to where I came from. That doesn't have the same ring to it that this is doing. Because where I come from, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was promised that by God. Going back home for them meant I'm going back to the place that God has divinely said that is yours because I will make it yours. Because you're my promised people. And because I'm in charge of your story, I will move the ball forward. They looked back in order to say, hey, right, well, what has God done? And if you already noticed in the first two chapters, there's a lot of that happening. Last week we talked about the fact that there's this echo of the Exodus that's in chapter one. That, that there's this constant repetition that points us back to this moment where God delivered God's people, his people, from e uh, Egypt. And he's doing the same now. He's delivering God's people out of exile. This time, they're, they're going back and they're following the heritage. They're following their land. They're going back to their home, places that they know this is divinely mine. I, am, I, I feel like this is, this is where God has us, and, and God is calling a, a restoration to this place because he has a plan for this specific area in the person of Jesus, right? There's this looking back that says, I will remember the path forward because I'm going to look back and reflect on what God has done, right? I, I, I even know where I'm going because I'm looking back to see what God has done. Friends, sometimes when you're, when you're getting out of darkness, when you're, you're making your way out of dark seasons, you need to look back, not to dwell on what you've done, but rather to recognize what God's done. For some of you, you've come out of powerful, sinful, dark environments where God has provided powerful, restorative stories in your life, and you're back in a season, and for some of us, we look back and go, that's, that's we, or, or, or rather, we, we in that moment begin to think, this is all there is. When reality, in reality, our story itself has a testimony of what God can do in the darkest of seasons. You have to look back and think, look what God's done then. I believe he can do it now. Right? Some of us are coming out of a very sinful environments, or, or maybe I said that one already, uh, maybe very um, relationally broken environments. Right? We, some, some of what we tackled in just a second ago. Right? 
And, and maybe now some of your relationships are going a lot better. Maybe you've had better relationships with your parents or with, with other people, your siblings, uh, your spouse. Maybe you've had some redemptive things happen in your marriage or relationships with your kids or whatever the case is. And all of a sudden now you're back in a bumpy season because guess what? That happens because life happens. And all of a sudden now the only thing we see is the dark spot when, again, if we look back and just see, man, what has God done in my life? There's a beautiful testimony that he can restore things. Friends, sometimes you got to look back when you're trying to move forward, not to see what you've done, but to see what God's done. And to be reassured that you're in a story that's bigger than yourself. You're in a story that's larger than just your issues. You're in a story that's larger than just your struggles. You're in a story that's larger than just your shortcomings. You're in a story of a redemptive God who is taking a chastised people out of darkness and restoring purpose, restoring hope, and restoring joy to them because that's who he is. That's why Ezra's communication, Ezra's story is so powerful because, again, it's the story of the whole book. And it's the story of your life. It's a bigger story than just what happens in your life because it's a story of what God has done from the day you were born to the day you die, generations and centuries before that, and maybe generations and centuries after that because you're in something bigger than yourself and bigger than your struggles, bigger than your darkness, bigger than your victories, bigger than your dark. Do you see what I'm saying? It's powerful and it's important to look back and to plug yourself in to these big stories. And, and hear me, I'm going I'm to dwell on this for just a second because you've heard me talk about stories and plugging into a bigger story a lot. But, but I want to think of two things that are really, really important. One, if you don't plug into that bigger story, if you're not looking back and understanding that, that, that this thing, right, Christianity, following Jesus, is about a God who is restoring, about a God who is redeeming, about a God who is saving, about a God that's reconciling, two things are going to happen. One, our faith is going to make no sense to you. If you are not tapped into that story, our faith is going to make zero sense to you. And I'm going to hit on something a little bit here. I love you. I'm not trying to rub you the wrong way. But the reality is for some of us, the the Christian faith has been built up and and, and really singled out as being you're, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Hey, you messed up a few times, God forgives you. And then you keep struggling with the exact same things you struggled with before. You keep struggling with the exact same things you feel like you're never going to stop struggling with. And you start to forget or not even see the purpose of why God forgiving you over and over again is even helpful. When in reality, the story that you're a part of is not just a story of God coming in and saying, hey, everyone's done bad things. I just want to make sure there's a way for everyone to be forgiven so we can all make it to heaven. That's not the story. Man, and I love you enough to say that's not the story. And if that's the story you believe, this faith is going to be so light. It's going to be so insufficient. It's going to be so minuscule. It's going to feel like there's so many better things out there. Because the actual story that Ezra is teaching and the story the Bible is teaching, the good news that we have is that God sends his son into the world, yes, to forgive you, but also to remake you. Because he's not just remaking you, he's remaking everything. He's restoring everything. The injustices that you deeply are angry at, he's going to restore those. Man, the the parts of your heart that are hurting, he's going to restore those. The relationships that are broken, he's going to restore them. And now he's working in you in order to redeem and restore and make new so that he can send you out and say, and it starts with that person. It starts with him. It starts with her. Through me, I'll give them the boldness. I'll give them the security. I'll give them the forgiveness. I'll give them everything they need in order to send them out and to keep this story going. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So if you're not plugged into a bigger story, the story where God's redeeming everything, friend, I got to let you know, if you're disenchanted with Christianity, that might be why. Because you think it all boils down to you being 
giving a thumbs up, a pat on the back, and saying, no, you're okay. Guess what? There's so much more going on than that. The second thing I think you, you miss or we miss when we're not playing the bigger story is that our, our, our darkest moments don't make sense. Our darkest moments don't make sense. Why? Because they're, they're random. They're circumstantial. They're just these things that happen, a blip on the radar. Broken, tough things that happen to you because they happen to you. And there's not a guarantee, a promise. There's not a story that you're tapped into that says those things, those things have an expiration date. You're going through it and it's just there. It's just looming and it never goes away. But in the story, those things have an expiration date. In the story, those things have an end date. In the story, there's one who's victorious over them. And he promises that when he comes back, he'll restore, he'll forgive, he'll, he'll complete, he'll make all things new. That's the story we're plugged into. Friend, when that's not your story and there's just these looming moments of pain, these looming moments of darkness, man, it's a burden that I don't know how anybody can navigate. You can't. It's just beyond the scope of what a human being is capable of. When we're in the story, right, even if it's just the cry, come quickly. Even if it's just the cry, I'm crumbling under the weight of the darkest moments, come back quickly. I'm crumbling under the weight of the injustices, come quickly. I'm crumbling under the weight uh, of my sinfulness that, that I'm fighting and giving myself uh, in terms of just, just fighting against, come quickly, sustain me. Even if that's the response, friend, that plugs you into a story that says keep fighting. I'll give you strength. Why? Because I've already overcome them. I've won the war. I'm coming back. Be encouraged, right? That's the story we get to be a part of. That's, that's why the Christian faith is powerful. That, that, that's the whole reason why it spread like wildfire in the ancient world. Man, I'm behind. But, but that, that's the story we're in right now. Friend, can I tell, just lovingly encourage you. That's the story you're in right now. It's not the story you have to plug into as though it's an option. I got a choice. I can either plug into a story that makes me feel better or I could not. That's a story you're in whether you like it or not, friend. Why? Because the God of all creation has stepped into the story and made it his. It's his story in the first place, but, but, but he's taken the outcome and said, I'm going to make this outcome. I'll take the sin of the world, the sin of your life, the darkness of your pain, the struggles of your heart, I'll take them onto the cross so that in me all things will be made new and that I will promise when I come back all things will be restored and I'll be with my people and my people will be mine and I will be theirs and there'll be no more tears and there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more mourning, right? That's the story you're in whether you like it or whether you don't. The invitation is to be a part of it because that's what's happening. That's your story at this very minute. We said last week that Cyprus didn't just release Israel. I mean, uh, Cyrus. Wow, I said Cyprus like two, three times already. Cyrus didn't, didn't just release Israel. He released everybody. He released everybody that was a captive person. And for someone that's not plugged into the story, that might look like you being like, oh, you know what? Just a random act. We got lucky. Cyrus released everybody, we get to go home. Let's try to make the best of it. 
But when you're plugged into the story, when you're plugged into the story of a God who's redeeming and restoring because he loves and because he sees the simple act of the king, uh, the new king saying, hey, as a political move, all the captive people can go home. When you're plugged into the story, you see God's handiwork. And what happens? The heart's encouraged. The heart's, the heart's built up. You're given strength. You're given hope. That's what it looks like to be plugged into the story, friends. That, that's what happens when we're plugged into the story. So sometimes you got to look back. Sometimes you got to look back and move forward knowing the God who's restored, he'll restore again. And the God who's rescued, he'll rescue again. And the God who's encouraged, he'll encourage again. Plugged into the story. Here's the thing. Those are the two takeaways that I have for us today. That, that's coming off of just reading a list of people. But the, them lists got some things for you, I'm telling you. But if you're not engaged in that story today, right, whether you're not a Christian, you don't like, you're like, oh, I'm not a believer. I don't know about this. I'm not plugged in this. Or whether you're like, man, I'm in, I'm in dark times. And I'm struggling to see that story. And I don't feel necessarily like I'm, I'm in it. In fact, I feel alone and by myself. Right, no matter where you are, today as we close up, I, I want to I encourage you to come and, like we said, I want you to accept an invitation to restoration. It doesn't, it doesn't mean everything's going to be gone today. It doesn't mean everything's going to be gone tomorrow. It does mean that we're invited to participate in this thing by being open and bringing everything to God. And, and oftentimes it looks like bringing it to the people that God has brought us to and the people that we're surrounded by to start this process of what it looks like to bring the darkest parts of our lives, the most hurtful parts of our lives, the most sinful parts of our lives to a gracious and merciful God and to see him say, I died for that. You're forgiven, you're restored. Let, let's continue to grow in what it means to be new, what it, what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be restored. We wanna give you that space today. And so uh, as we close up uh, and we go into the last few songs, I wanna invite you um, into a time of like prayer, into a time of engaging uh, God and meeting him where he is to meet you today. So I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be right there. It's, I'm not going to be standing there looking at you. I'm going to be sitting on the chair looking this way. And if you need prayer, I want you to come to me. In addition, Zanna, uh, waving her hand, she's going to be up here. She's going to just, just stand in the corner over there. And, and here's the thing. If you, if you need prayer and you're a woman, and you're just like, man, I feel more comfortable. This, this, this burly dude in an Austin FC shirt, I'm not sure I want to go bare my heart to this man at the moment. I don't blame you. Uh, I've been looking at the man in the mirror sometimes like, I don't want to talk to you today, bro. Um, right? But, but if, that, if, that, if you feel more comfortable with her, man, go to her. Right? But we want to create a space where you just have some time uh, to bring it to the Lord, to plug back into that story. Because that's happening now. It's happening right now. And the invitation is there. I encourage you, and pick it up. Look back. Realize that it's happening right now because it's happened before, and it'll happen again. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, um, thank you so much for the story of the gospel. Thank you so much, Father, that, that we are exiled, and oftentimes we do find ourselves in darkness, that we do find ourselves in these challenging places. And much like the story of Adam and Eve, we do find ourselves hiding. 
And we like the idea of being, being forgiven, but we don't like the idea of repentance. And we like the idea of healing, but we don't like the idea of openness. And we like the idea of reconciliation. We don't like the idea of accountability. And yet, in the midst of all of it, you invite us into this powerful story that says, I'm going to restore, I'm going to renew, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to reconcile, I'm going to make all things new. And the invitation becomes, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Right out I'll invite you into this process. I'm, it's going it's to mean that you have some, some burdens. We say that my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it still requires some work, but it requires work that you respond with in grace and love and truth. That we come to you in repentance knowing that you restore and you forgive. We come to you uh, in, in openness about our darkness and you know that you respond in compassion. We come to you in, in, in accountability of what we've done to, to sever or to make relationships struggle and you meet us with forgiveness and invitation to restoration and reconciliation. Thank you, Father, that that is the, the lightness of the burden we're invited into. So thank you. Help us today. Help us today to see what you're doing, to see the story we're a part of, and to plug into it. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.